Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining today. This is our 10th part of the third chapter. And here we are going to conclude, with Hashem's help, the first principle. This has been a 10-part <laughs> focus on just the first principle, as we will see. All right, so let's do a roundup of where we've come before we move forward. This is incidentally the 55th episode in the study of Shara B'tachen with a, an introduction as well. And it's an ongoing series. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I hope you'll find this educational, inspirational, uplifting. Truth be told, to best appreciate and utilize the information and the knowledge that's being shared, you really need to immerse yourself in the series. Okay, with that said, we have established in a very solid, foundational way an understanding of this faith fact that God, the Almighty, the omnipotent Creator, manages all affairs. Everything that happens in the universe is managed. It's beyond the scope of the human mind to fathom what that means. But indeed it is the case. One of the most evil men in history, it's an argument of who gets this attribution, Stalin Yamachmo or Hitler Yamachmo said that one person is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. I'm mentioning this not because I want to quote evil, but this, in a stunning and perhaps jarring way, gives us a sense of what we can and can't wrap our heads around. We unfortunately can really relate to a tragedy. We can all relate to tragic events. At a certain point, it's impossible to process those numbers. It's simply not within the realm of our possibility to internalize or ingest the enormity of a situation. So it just becomes a, a statistic. The truth is that to try and immerse oneself in the concept of Hashgacha Pratis, of God's management of everything, the entire universe, and all of it at the same time with its multiple interfaces and interplay, <laughs> multiple, Trillions of things affecting each other in every nanosecond. And that all that is managed is simply not possible for the human mind to fathom or compute. So it's a, a faith fact. This is what we subscribe to as Torah Jews. And we've established this and developed it in a very significant way in the episodes prior. And so now Rabbeinu Bachaya is going to drive home the point that anybody who obsesses 
over his or her future. That people who are riddled with anxiety and fear about what will happen in a material sense are doing so in a totally misguided fashion. If you're following along inside in the Shara Betochen that was printed by Kihat, we're on page 69, and as the commentator mentions right here at the top of the page, it follows that if a person feels stress because of their financial needs or the like, if he or she overexerts themselves in their efforts to provide for themselves, then this could only be so due to a lack of understanding of how God runs the world. Now, none of us can really understand it, but we can relate to it at least atmospherically, at least in a distant level. The problem is that far too often the things we believe in don't change the way we live because they're, they're too big. They're too overwhelming. As we've mentioned so many times during the course of this series, the famous words of the Talmud that illustrate the problem of faith. Ganva, apum machtartarachmonakarya, the thief upon making his or her heist right at the mouth of their crime, at the crime scene. They're crying out to God and asking for help. Hey, if you believe God can help you, why don't you believe God could sustain you without committing a crime? Such is the nature of faith left unnurtured and undeveloped. As I've quoted in the past, the famous words of Rabbeinu B'chai II in Kadakemach, Loi kol hamaymin Not every person who possesses faith possesses trust. Our focus is to learn how to turn our faith into trust. Because trust will change the way you live. If you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling concern or worry about the future, and more importantly, if those feelings are driving you to exert yourself, to overburden yourself with seemingly endless efforts to change the future, you missed the point. And it could be because of a lack of understanding. It could also be because there's a weakness in our conviction. We believe it, we pledge allegiance to it, we mouth it, but we aren't really immersing ourselves in that reality. That's a problem. And that's what Rabbeinu Baha'i wants to address now. And so he opens with what he calls the Tirdas Hanefesh. So Tirdas Hanefesh is uh, it's interesting. It's translated in the Kihat edition as when a person troubles himself. I don't know, the word person doesn't show up here. It just says, Vitirdas Hanefesh. I suppose he means to translate this, the troubles of one's soul. 
the trouble is, <laughs> I don't think tirda means trouble at all. So I'm going to call that as a misnomer. I, I looked in another contemporary translation, and in the art school version, they translate the word tirda senefesh as preoccupation. A preoccupation is not a tirda. To be asuk, to be involved in something, is to be occupied or preoccupied in something. Like, you know, people say in Hebrew, ani asuk achshav, I'm busy now, or I'm preoccupied. Tsarot, maybe that's the term for troubles. This is not about something that troubles you. It would seem to me that a tirda is more of a burden. One's soul is burdened. You're carrying a heavy load. It's something that requires great effort. You exert yourself. Sometimes you overexert yourself in carrying this heavy load. And why are you carrying this load? So, well, you, you have a responsibility. <laughs> you have to make sure that things work right. As Rabbeinu B'chayin now says, nefesh. what is the burden about? What's the burden you bear? He says, Lahagdim ma she'echar. You want to hasten or accelerate the process of something that seems to be stalled or delayed. You say, why isn't this working? I've made the business efforts. Why isn't the sale complete? I probably didn't make enough calls. I probably didn't do enough in the form of overture. And therefore, I'm going to work additionally. I'll burn the midnight oil and I'll, I'll get up before dawn and I'll be at my office and I'll be making those phone calls. I'll be sending those emails. I'll be, I'll be engaging, doing everything I can to accelerate this process because I need to bring this deal to fruition. I got bills to pay. <laughs> I got, I got a salaries to meet. I can't wait for things to percolate and unfold. So I'm burdened. I'm burdened with accelerating the process. The problem is, who says that's your burden? Well, in fact, Rabbeinu B'chayi will now teach us it isn't. Because not only does God supervise and manage everything that's happening in the world, He also supervises and manages when it happens. So if Hashem didn't ordain that it happened yet, there's actually nothing you can do to accelerate that process. So you are, in effect, burdening yourself unnecessarily. In plain English, you're wasting your time. You're stressing out for no reason whatsoever. Sometimes a person tries to delay that which is inevitable. He knows the window's closing on a certain deal. He's going to try to delay this. He's going to try to make sure that he can still eke out yet another quarter or squeeze out some more profit before this window closes. He's trying to delay that which Hashem has obviously hastened. So its time has come. Or perhaps, you wish to increase that which Hashem decreased. 
or lahamit mashahirba. You wish to decrease or minimize that which Hashem magnified or increased. All of this, mikinyane ha'ilam, from what we would call acquisitions of worldly matters. So we're speaking about profit, speaking about business, acquisition. But the truth is that this is going to be understood a little bit beyond the purview of, of business. You know, it's like, it's like the business of life. The things you're trying to achieve or accomplish, which are materialistically minded. We'll talk later on in the course of these studies about one's health. We'll talk about the idea of personal development and success in certain arenas or areas which are specifically outside the purview of our religious duties or our spiritual pursuit, as we will see. So let's take a look now and see what the commentaries say about these very words. With regard to Tirdas Hanefesh, the Menoyach Halavavis interprets it as such. Ma Shahanefesh Torud. You know, in Yiddish, Torud is often translated as Tzutrogin. I think Tzutrogin is a person who is burdened, preoccupied, but not simply in a busy way, but rather overwhelmed in a burdensome way. A person who isn't too busy to take the call, but right now doesn't have, so to speak, room within himself to engage. You know, when a person is kind of like overwhelmed. And what is the reason for this? Manoel Chalavavi says, Rabbeinu B'chaya is trying to communicate that this is Lasibas Chalishus Hahakora because you're having weakness in your area of recognition. Sometimes you can know about something, but you don't recognize it. I'll give you a simple example. We have this euphemism that suggests that a person is close to himself. <laughs> He's related to himself. That sounds kind of funny. Well, think of it this way. When a person is involved in something, when they have what's called a, an interest, so invariably, their interest to see something succeed or fail will cloud their vision. You won't have clarity. This is true sometimes about relatives. According to the great Rabbi Aaron of Barcelona, the putative author of the Sefer Achinuch, the medieval work called the Book of Mitzvah Education, Sefer Achinuch suggests that the reason that relatives can serve as edim, as witnesses, in a court scenario is because they don't have objectivity. Maimonides disputes this. He says, the reason we can't use relatives is because the Torah says so. 
because if somebody who is subjective is still offering testimony that is incriminating, wouldn't that be even more so? The Sefer HaChinuch has his way of resolving this question, but it's beyond the purview of our subject today. I want to point out that subjectivity means we don't have clarity. And therefore, we don't recognize things. Sometimes you're very involved in uh, maybe a strategy or an approach, so much so that you fail to see the weak points. You'll solicit independent advice. I know many good lawyers who will never represent themselves in court because they're afraid they'll be blinded and they won't recognize certain things. They want an independent set of eyes to look at it. The problem here isn't that a person doesn't believe. It isn't that somebody hasn't learned the Shara B'Tachan up until this point. Yeah, presumably you've been following along. If you haven't, you should. And if you go back, and if you watch all of those episodes, and you contemplate them and think deeply about them, at this point, you definitely know what we're talking about. The question is, do you recognize it? And here's where the lines get blurred. And here's where in the haze of subjectivity, we're unable to recognize things with clarity. To get camouflaged by self-interest, by our desire to appear a certain way. And that desire is so strong that it, it actually impacts our vision, robbing us of clarity and the ability to recognize. Yeah, my friends, this, this is a fraught endeavor. It's not easy to build a betochen because we need to get clarity. And this clarity can only come through repetitive, repetitive discussion, repetitive contemplation, repetitive efforts in which we drive this point home to ourselves and it becomes clear to us that Hashem runs everything. And as such, the, the pressing of the panic, anxiety of fear buttons is foolish. You can't change these things. It's not in your hands. It's not in my hands. It's not in anybody's hands other than Hashem. What is ordained is ordained. And what's ordained not to be won't be. And everything is ordained in its particular time. I know what you're thinking. Why should I bother going to work altogether? Hold that thought. I promise with Hashem's help to address it shortly. It's a fair question. But before we get to that question, let us establish this Torah truism, this principle, that everything that happens is being ordained from on high. And therefore, there's no reason to burden ourselves. I didn't say not to work. I said not to burden yourself. The Marpala Nefesh says that a person who is matrid esnafsho, a person who overwhelms himself, who burdens himself unnecessarily, the otz 
he pushes himself in order to achieve wealth or financial success. Says the Marpala Nefesh, a person who might do this would in effect be wasting his time because that which has been decreed will come regardless. Regardless of whether you try to push. Will you stand back? It'll come It'll come without any kind of effort, without any kind of burden, I should say. Without overburdening, without overexertion. It'll come without charitzus, without this tremendous emphasis and push, which is beyond what's expected. But somebody who is tzutrogen, overwhelmed, burdened, burdened to the point that they can't function. God didn't design us to live dysfunctional lives. We have to believe that Hashem expects of us to live a life that's functional and fulfilling. So if you are feeling that the only way you can achieve success is by being dysfunctionally overburdened, then bevadai, it's without a question, says the Marpilla Nefesh, speaking in the Chayvis Halavavis, the Shara voice, that it's machmas chalishos hakorosai, that you fail or have a weakness in your area of recognizing amitas yidiasi yizborich. You don't understand the way Hashem runs things. That's why you're feeling that way. <laughs> that is to say, if only you could feel things as they truly are, if only you could recognize the truth, you wouldn't need to feel overburdened. And you can rid yourself of that unnecessary anxiety. Let's take a look in the Neda Bakredish. He says, I want you to know that this is kind of a run-on sentence. It starts off with Tirdas HaNefesh, this overwhelming, overexertion, overburdening of self. And it comes in various forms. You're trying to accelerate, makes things go faster, but their time hasn't come. You're trying to delay things, but its time has arrived. You're trying to add but Hashem has already subtracted or minimized. You're trying to minimize, but Hashem has already created a storm. In all of these cases, in every one, he says, these are just various examples. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar leaves no stone unturned. He says, a person will say, I can't add, but at least I can stop. You can't start, you can't stop. You can't add, you can't subtract. You can't accelerate, you can't delay. And all of these are, says the Neder Bakadish, Boil down to mikinyane ha'olam. All of this mikinyane ha'olam. He says mikinyane ha'olam, those words from acquisition of worldly or material matter, he says all of this is musav al-tevis lahagdim. And it also replies to the word la'acher. It applies to the word laharbot. It applies to the word lamait. All of these words. 
All of this is, so to speak, in the same genre. There is an exception. So all of this effort's a waste of time. But there is an exception. There is one area of life where your efforts necessarily make or break things. But before we get on to the one area of life where your efforts do make or break, I think I owe you a bit of an explanation. What is Rabbeinu Bachaya saying? <laughs> I mean, how can he claim that our efforts don't make a difference? Is it not written? Hashem will bless you in everything that you do? So you need to do. Ah, my friends. There's a big difference between Tirdas HaNefesh and Bechol Tasa. In fact, a world of differentiation. One is required by Torah and one is something we should eschew. Why indeed does a person have to work at achieving financial success? Why does a person have to make efforts to make a livelihood if ultimately wealth or the opposite come from Hashem? If Hashem is the one who not only provides, but provides in a particular time, and if we can't change whatever's about to come our way, why are we even making the effort? This question is richly addressed in the teachings of Hasidus. And I'm going to give you, uh, with Hashem's help, a little sampling today. An array of different nuances and details from Rabbi Seinu Nisienu, from the Rebbes of Chabad Lubavitch. I'm going to begin with a selection, little excerpts that I will share with you from a mimer, a Hasidic discourse that was delivered by the Alter Rebbe, the founder of the movement, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, also known as the Balatanya and the Shulchan Aruch. This was, this mimer was delivered in the year Tov Kuf Samachhei. So that's 1805. And it opens, believe it or not, <laughs> with the words, Uveirachcha. And God will bless you in all that you do. And the Alter Rebbe opens with a question. This exact question. He says, we have to understand. What's going on over here? Why does there have to be action? Engagement in business? Since the blessing comes from God... And it's going to come, mimela. it'll come automatically. Why do we have to make any efforts then? I mean, after all, Rabbeinu Bachaya illustrated for us so clearly, leaving no one stone unturned, that nothing we do will make a difference. It's a bit of a lengthy mimer. I want to take you to the end. In case you get a hold of a Sefer HaMamarim, Tafkov Samachechelikbez, you can look at it on page Tafresh Nun Hey. It's page 645. There are two versions of this particular mimer because the Alter Rebbe himself did not write his own Hasidic discourses. They were write, written by students, pupils, Hasidim, who recorded these oral teachings in writing, manuscripts. So there are two manuscripts. I'll share with you the primary manuscript, and this is the point. The Alter Rebbe launches into a, an explanation of a Zoharic statement 
about the merging or amalgamation of two different names representing different divine persona. There's the name Kale, Aleph Lamed, and that is said to represent divine beneficence or kindness, God's giving. And then there's the shame Adnai. I'm purposely mispronouncing that. And it represents Adnut or mastery. God is the boss. It doesn't represent benevolence or kindness. It represents justice. It represents the rule of law. And the question is how those names come together. And the Zohar makes a very unusual statement by saying that together you get the gematria of Tzadik Vav, a gematria a numeric equivalent of 96. And the Zohar goes on to say that this is equal to the concept of Avodazara, alien worship, to ascribe divinity, chas v'shalom, to other forces or powers or dominions. This is an act of sedition, rebellion against God. And it has the gematria of 96. This is not a, <laughs> a numbers game. The gematria, Torah, true gematria, reflects some kind of relationship, some kind of contentful common denominator, which even expresses itself in numeric equivalence. So the Alter Rebbe says, We have divine beneficence. God brings a universe into existence and he provides for every single form of life just what they need. As Rabbeinu Bechaya illustrated, and this was looked at episodes ago, the way God provides for every embryo, every egg, every tiny fish, every worm, everything's provided for. Every blade of grass has the hydration, the nourishment it needs. Everything is taken care of. There are trillions upon trillions upon trillions of different forms of life all being sustained by God. That represents God's kindness, God's beneficence. Nobody's really earning their supper, so to speak. But this idea of God's beneficence, chesed, must come camouflaged, wrapped, if you will, in the raiments of adnos, of God's mastery. And this, says the Alter Rebbe, means that God's kindness is concealed, camouflaged in a thick coat, if you will. It's wrapped in a heavy sheet, a lavush sack, a burlap sack, which is master legamri, which conceals this idea of God giving. So what does it look like? It looks like there's a natural ecology, nature, the planet, sustains itself. Every form of life makes its contribution. It all makes sense. We can actually do things to stimulate further growth. We can look at the magnificent array of reality and come away with the conclusion that there is no God. The truth must be told. Science is not a contradiction to religion, and there are many religious scientists. 
It's true, there are irreligious scientists. Science will not necessarily lead you in a direction of faith, spirituality, or religion. But if you're open-minded, it can certainly make you aware of the magnificence of God's creation. <laughs> if you're prepared to absorb the bigger message, you can't help but realize the statistical impossibilities of everything being random or accidental. It's just too perfect, too precise, too choreographed. <laughs> Could you imagine 101 musicians sitting down and just by accident banging out Tchaikovsky's uh, 14th composition? I mean, seriously, it's ridiculous. Nobody would believe it. In fact, for a symphony to perform some of the most difficult pieces of music, some of the most stirring pieces of music ever written, you need to have weeks, if not months, of practice. And yet, our world is a symphony far more exquisite, far more exact, and far more precise. By accident. And yet, we know more about creation and the universe than humanity has ever known before in history. And atheism is on the rise. Up to 20% of the world's population today claims to have no belief in a higher power. That's a significant number. I mean, the fact that 80% of the world's population professes to believe in a higher power, forget that they reject religion or organize religion, which is easy to understand, but they believe in a higher power is extremely powerful. It's indicative of the true essence of God's presence that is, you know, kind of available for people. People just can't help but noticing it or feeling it, because it is so. But at any rate, the point is that our world was designed to allow for atheism. Let me repeat that. The creator of heaven and earth purposely concealed his tracks. Hashem designed a world that would enable us to deny his presence, despite his continuous involvement in the bringing forward of our existence. It is eminently possible to study about the nature of our world and to come away with the conclusion that there is no God. It's an unbelievable thing. In fact, now the Rebbe says in Yigarash Vemuna that the only thing greater than creation itself is God's concealment of his involvement. It's astounding. Imagine you have a company in disarray and you bring in this phenomenal CEO, extremely talented, gifted, and hardworking person, and he manages to turn the company around. When I was a kid, there was a, a legend named Lee Iacocca who did that to Chrysler. Now imagine a Lee Iacocca being piloted into Chrysler and nobody knows he's there, except the board of directors. Nobody knows that there's a new CEO, <laughs> there's a new sheriff in town. Nobody knows how everything's falling into place, but it is. It's impossible. It's unfathomable how God concealed his involvement, his bringing forth of existence every single moment, but he has. And this is something that God continues to do. And this, says the Alter Rebbe, stunningly, is the meaning of Uvirachacha Hashem God will bless you 
when you make the efforts. Why? He says, you need to do business. You need to do what is necessary to create prosperity, a livelihood. Because there has to be concealment. God has to conceal his giving, his beneficence. And you're his partner in concealment. By going to work, you're ensuring that your parnasa, that your livelihood, doesn't appear miraculous. Imagine that. God is miraculously gifting you with what you need, but you have to go through the motions so that God's concealment, his cover, can be maintained. If you blow his cover, then God will simply have to go undercover. <laughs> simply stated, if you don't do work, if you don't make a vessel through which God can conceal his gift to you, you won't get it. You will not receive God's beneficence because you're forcing God to make a miracle. And God doesn't want to make miracles. He wants to be concealed. So we are actually a partner with God in creating the obfuscation, the smokescreen, the concealment, so that Hashem can give us that which He, God, decided is rightfully ours. Not that we have any rights or <laughs> really deserve anything, but Hashem says, I have much goodness for you. You need to make it look natural. Because only then can I give it to you. Your involvement in commerce or a profession, your choosing of a vocation and doing the assiduous, proper, appropriate thing in making efforts is necessary. So that you won't know who's giving it to you. You won't know who's giving. You won't know who is providing. So much so that He says, you know why I made money? Because I'm smart. Because I'm diligent. Because I did my homework. That's why I made money. You know why that guy didn't make money? Because he's an idiot. Because he didn't do his homework. Because he just randomly selected the wrong stocks. But I knew what I was doing. Of course, my friends... Sometimes the idiot succeeds. We can't understand why. He said, well, he got lucky. And sometimes, genius me did everything according to the book and beyond and failed. He said, well, I just got unlucky. It's not my fault. The truth is, it's never my fault. And it's never, ever my credit. It's all from Hashem. But God stunningly makes it look like we did it. And it's a test. Will you see through the smoke screen or will you stumble over your own camouflage? That's the test of faith, the test of trust. That's the test of our relationship with God. And that's precisely why if you choose to see the presence of Hashem, it's considered to be profoundly important and meaningful because it didn't come naturally. Dr. Rebbe goes on to say, After speaking about God's concealment, known in the language of Hasidus or mysticism as Tzimtzum, 
God concealing, self-screening, or concealing his presence. It is necessary for a person to be part of this. You need to open, so to speak, the door to allow for God's beneficence and kindness. You need to make the vessel through which Hashem can give you the parnasa He wants to. But if you don't make the efforts, but you sit on your tuchas and you wait for it to rain down from heaven, it won't come. Why? Why? Because that's called soimchen alanes. Now you relied on a miracle. God didn't say He was doing miracles for you. He said He was going to provide for you with the proviso that you partner with Him in making it look natural. Imagine that. All of this, Hashem wants you to be involved to do your business. This is the way Hashem can be concealed. This is the way the Hashgacha Pratis, the divine design and individual providence of God, can be obfuscated. Every time a successful person has a prophet, what is he attributed to? Well, naturally, to myself, to my efforts. To my wisdom, to my intuition? Of course. How else? As it's obvious. A person who works diligently, wisely, strategically. Matzliach. He's successful. A person who behaves foolishly, makes dumb investments. Why did God make it that way? If God's giving it to us anyway. Because Hashem wants... God wants to make it look as if you did it. He wants it to look that way. <laughs> if he wants it to look that way, you bet your bottom dollar it's going to look that way. Says the Alter Rebbe, It's not so. It's not so. Everything is all in the hands of Hashem. Everything is in the hands of a divine providence. Who is Baruch Sibakolasibis? God is the cause of all causes. When Hashem wants to give his kindness, he gives his kindness. And this is the idea, Alta Rebbe says later on in the Mimer, that Elikim, the name of God, which represents Hashem's lording over us, is the gematria of Hateva of the nature. Because nature is a very thick, seemingly impenetrable veil in which God conceals himself. But really and truly, it's God behind all that. God's calling every shot, making every move, choreographing all of the things that are happening. But the thing is that nature, he says, only gives you the numeric equivalent of 86, Pavov. And then when a person adds his own efforts, Al-Tarebbe doesn't say this precisely, but I think he's alluding to it. He adds another 10. Maybe that's the 10 kochat hanefesh. He involves his own human ability and ingenuity. And then he says, I did it. Within the frame of nature, he goes then from simply being in a state of ignoring God or not noticing or recognizing God to actually worshiping an idol. He goes from pevav to tzaddik, from 86 to 96. And that's why the idea of 
that 96 that we talked about before, Kael Adnai, which represents the efforts of business, making a living, having a vocation, enables a person to actually deny the presence of God altogether. But the truth is that all those efforts are a necessary smokescreen. The vehicle through which you're able to bring blessing to yourself is to make it look natural. That's the vehicle. So if you do your part in making a natural vessel, then the blessing will come your way. Now, the Altarebbe doesn't address a person being overburdened. So here's something very interesting. Now, we mentioned this in one of our, our previous episodes. There's a sefer called Derechaim from his son and successor, the Mittler Rebbe. In the Hagdom and the preface, the Mittler Rebbe talks about business. And he talks about who has business being in business. He says, doesn't the Gemara, doesn't the, our sages make the statement that somebody who wants to be successful should diversify? Yeah, believe it or not, our sages actually said that. And the Mittler Rebbe goes on in this fascinating moment to describe the possibility of turning a profit. He says you can make many small investments, and small investments will yield small amounts of profit. Or you can make one enormous investment that with much less effort can make an enormous amount of profit, but you also have a tremendous amount of risk. If you're successful, hey, that's great. If you fail, that's it. It's like having a one-question test. You didn't get the right answer, you failed. Got a hundred questions, hey, if you got 65 of them right, you're still okay. If a person is diversifying in his business, then he or she has a better chance of success, it would seem, because they've created a lot of different vehicles. But the Mittler Rebbe goes on to describe in great detail how it's not really so simple. And yes, there is an element of this. He says there are really there are kind of like two parallel paths. The important thing, he says, is that a person should make a vehicle, a reasonable vehicle, so that it looks like he or she is following a natural path. That's the important thing. And sometimes a person has to place a tremendous amount of ishtadlos. He says a person makes a lot, many, many efforts. But he says the truth is that if you make more effort or less effort, ultimately, ultimately, the blessing comes from Hashem and it won't come in larger or smaller measure. It won't come more quickly, nor will it be delayed. It's exactly what Rabbeinu Bachai is talking about here. And he says that the fact of the matter remains that as long as what you do is what we would call normative, not wild behavior that's relying on a miracle, but normative efforts, he says then you've done your thing. The rest is in Hashem's hands. And the Mittler Rebbe says that in the end, a person must know your livelihood has been promised to you. It's been measured out for you on Rosh Hashanah. Hashem is the Zonum of Arnas. God is the provider. He is the one who gives us sustenance. And it comes by His Slabshus. It can come through a lot of effort or through a little effort. It depends on you. 
A person can choose to be mar bebeschayre. A person can choose to involve himself in many, many different aspects of business. Or a person can choose not to be mar bebeschayre because, as the Mishnah says, not everybody who does a lot of business has lots of success. There are plenty of portfolios that diversify and they fail at everything. You could say it's prudent. You could say it makes sense. You could say it's natural. My dear friends, in the end of the day, it's in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is what the world calls coincidence or luck. But there is no such thing, for nothing is random. Everything comes, me'es Hashem. That's what we believe. God isn't the creator past tense. He's the creator present tense. Making everything happen. And he's promised us to provide for us. Whatever we're going to make this year has already been decided on the high holidays. And so I have to make the efforts so that I can actually receive those blessings, as we just learned before in the Mimer of the Alta Rebbe. I have to create the vessel, the vehicle, that doesn't force the hand of God to give me in a miraculous fashion, which Hashem clearly says he doesn't want to do. If that happens, then life loses its meaning. It has to look natural so we can be tested and challenged. For those tests and challenges are able to bring forth our inner spiritual metal, our own special measure of courage, the building of our own spiritual fortitude. That's the purpose of living in this terrestrial existence, because doing so makes our world a godlier place. The Mittler Rebbe says, Iker ha-bracha, the ha-da-bracha the main bracha that comes could come in a way which is not necessarily commensurate with the effort that you invest. As we see with regard to our father Yitzchak, that it says that Isaac planted a certain amount of seeds. He made a calculation of what he could expect in the best case scenario because he wanted to be generous and provide for others. He didn't want to make promises he couldn't keep. But because his entire focus was on doing what Hashem wanted, what happened was he was blessed. By Yim Tzomea, he found himself blessed a hundredfold. He says the same is also true with agriculture, as is, is true with business investments, as it is true with any particular vocation. You know, things can always go wrong or go right. You can always be fortuitous. The thing that you did that you didn't expect any success from became the great source of success. The thing you made all those efforts for was a grand, dismal failure. Anybody in business knows this. It isn't always predictable when we talk about where success or failure will come from. The important thing, says the Mittler Rebbe, is that you have to do what is necessary. Habirchas Hashem is b'cholashetase. Whether you do something which is wide-ranging, or something which is minimal. Hamaisa muetis, you could have a bracha meruba. 
the Mitzvah Rebbe goes on to say something absolutely fascinating. He says, so, so how does it work? He says, that's your choice. That's your choice. If you wish to focus entirely on your business efforts, so then in that case, then your blessing will come in that fashion. It'll come al piateva. It'll come by virtue of nature. with a tremendous amount of efforts. And if you see somebody who does not seem to be making yeoman's efforts and yet is bringing home a tremendous amount of profit, we would say is a That's exceptional, that's stunning, that's unnatural. But the truth, says the Mitla Rebbe, is that there are two kinds, two methods, two pathways through which we can achieve the success that we crave from Hashem. One is one is by immersing oneself in business pursuit, in whatever vocation it might be. The second path comes through less efforts. Smaller efforts, greater margins of profit. One is more embodied in nature. One is less embodied in nature. Both of them ultimately come through the concept of what could be called nature. Neither is actually miraculous. The Mitzvah Rebbe says that there are times in life when a person is called upon to put a tremendous amount of effort in. There are times in life when Hashem is kind and not as much effort is required. What can you do in this? Or how can you influence the way things will go? For this, says the Mitzvah Rebbe, if a person is himself if a person dedicates himself to Yiddishkeit, and he will allow himself room in other areas from where he's taken away from him oil But a person who's poirik oil throws off the yoke of Torah and instead focuses on the material reality, that's your choice. Then that's the way your business or success will come to you. In other words, ultimately, as Rabbeinu Bechaya said, everything comes from Hashem. Everything. We must do our part because Hashem wants the world to function in a normal and natural manner. How much effort we'll have to make? That depends on us. It depends on our devotion, on our dedication to the Almighty. And here's the caveat. God is not asking us to become overburdened because if we're overburdened, if we have tirda, we're not able to serve Hashem. And that was the purpose. Our neshama wasn't invested in the body to become overly burdened or preoccupied, to become so troubled with existence that we can't even live. Why would Hashem do that? So as a rule, the assumption has to be that Hashem gave us the wherewithal to be able to live a normal life. A normal life means a life in which there is daily Torah study. A normal life means a life in which there is continuous prayer. 
And if at all possible, and most often it is, Bitzibur, in a communal setting. Hashem gave us a life that enables us to think of others and to perform acts of chesed and kindness and to do all kinds of other mitzvahs. So the person who says, I'm too busy, I'm too burdened with life, I can't live, is missing the point. And this comes from a lack of understanding of how Hashem runs His world, and it comes from a lack of conviction in the basic faith that should undergird our attitude and our behavior. Let me share with you how this idea is articulated by the Rebbe de Tzimach Tzedek, the successor of the Mithla Rebbe, the maternal grandson of the Alta Rebbe. In one of his most famous works, which is called Derech Mitzvah Secha, the way of mitzvahs, where the Rebbe de Tzimach Tzedek speaks about the mystical and the spiritual ideas that are behind the specifics of mitzvah performance. In a mitzvah that many of us are really unfamiliar with, the idea of a mitzorah and tigalachs mitzorah, but in this mitzvah, it's found there, mitzvah, page 106, and it goes on to page 107. The Tzimach Tzedek asked the question. He says, I don't understand. You told me that the sages said that everything is decided on Rosh Hashanah. If it's decided on Rosh Hashanah, he says, why do we have to pray every day? And there was even a sage who had the food in front of him and he'd still pray. So what are you praying for? <laughs> so he goes into a discussion of what's the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Why do we say on Rosh Hashanah Hashem decides everything is, so to speak, pulled back and there's a new lease on life. And then on Yom Kippur, it's actually sealed. Did you ever notice that the sound raw sound that comes from your voice box doesn't make a particular kind of articulation. Shout on top of your lungs. It's just, just noise. But in order for the noise to become communication, it has to be, if you will, harnessed. It has to be broken. <laughs> it has to be, in effect, managed. So when you control the sound, all of a sudden, you're able not to just make noise, but to make music, or to make meaningful communication. Incidentally, the ability to divide sound into different syllables is called, in Torah lexicon, Hegvuris, five different methods of inhibition, of being able to hold the sound back or to guide the sound. Only when you can control sound are you able to speak? Here's a modern-day example of this. We know that electricity is a very powerful thing. But in order for us to harness its power, we have to be able to control it. I mean, the simplest example of this is you could have a surge of electricity that can fry all the wires in your house. <laughs> of course, that's why you have a breaker. There's a box in everybody's home, and the electricity is being controlled or limited. And if there's a surge of electricity that would simply melt down the infrastructure or the wires, what'll happen is the breaker will shut the flow of electricity off, effectively saving the house from incineration. The Rebbe told somebody in the 1950s 
that he believed transistors would be the most powerful element in technology. And of course, he was right. This is called conduction or semiconduction or subsequently superconduction. The essence of conduction is to be able to control the flow of electricity so that you can have an incredible amount of activity in the iPhone or device you hold and it doesn't burn up. It doesn't simply melt down. And the more effective we get at creating these tiny transistors that can actually limit the electricity or control the electricity, the more effective we're getting at what we can accomplish and do. This is a subject which is way beyond the purview of what we're talking about here. But the, the Tzemach Tzedek does allude to this, where he says that there is hey gvuras, shemeteva hagvuras lefara. The nature of gvuras is to crumble or to differentiate, to break into smaller, malleable, or manageable pieces. As the expression that's found in the 74th Psalm, ata peirarta you and your might God divides the sea's breakers. So what happens is there's a flow of divine energy. Think of it as a, an incredible profusion of electricity. But it's got to be absorbed properly. You have to have the right mechanism. If you plugged your toaster or a phone into the power station at Niagara Falls, it would simply burn in an instant. And what happens is we have this enormous amount of electricity that's being generated and it's slowly being divided and parceled out. And eventually the electricity reaches various regions and in regions there's a power station. And the power station is able to control and inhibit the power and eventually it comes to neighborhoods. And from neighborhoods, I don't know how it is elsewhere in the world, but here in Canada we have boxes. There are these electrical boxes on each street. And sometimes you need multiple boxes on a street. A building like ours has its own box. And you have to be able to bring a certain amount of electricity in and control that electricity. Because otherwise, you're playing with fire. My dear friend, that's what Rosh Hashanah is like. You get this powerful surge. The question is, how does it come into the microwave, the toaster? How does it power your climate control with the lights in the house? And the answer is, it has to be harnessed appropriately. And in order for it to be harnessed, you need to create the appropriate mechanism. Says the Tzemach Tzedek. This is the idea of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is called the sealing. Rosh Hashanah is called the writing, like the writing of the program. But then comes the idea of Chatima. Kasha Nechtam B'tabasa Melech, when it becomes sealed, proverbially imprinted with the signet of the king. So, Here's where the details, the die is cast, so to speak. And that's when we have to do tshuva on Rosh Hashanah and on the Aseris Yimei Tshuva until we get to the climax of the days of awe on Yom Kippur, the time when the gates are closing, and then Hashem gives us a larger, or chas v'shalom, smaller amount of His beneficence and kindness. Ah, so then in that case, what's up with all these requests, these petitions we make? We're asking every day, Hashem heal this one. Hashem give Parnasa. What 
What's the point of making an ask when the die's already been cast? Once the king's sealed, once the signet ring is applied, he can't do anything about it. He's paraphrasing from Megillot Esther. This chesed, which is divided through those five, so to speak, severities, those five different elements of control, limitation, the various ways in which sound is developed to make articulate speech. So he says, this is this chesed, is merumim v'nizkov, it's very lofty, it's very intense, it's higher than actually powering physical things. No, you can't plug your microwave into the power station unless you want it to melt. In order for it to come into this world, in order for it to power terrestrial beneficence and goodness, in order for it to bring about material things to life, like children, like health, like sustenance, prosperity. Kol is all the material goodness that we seek. They're all part of this material world. So God's infinite kindness has to be harnessed and measured in a way that it should become, if you will, articulate to us in this world. Hashem's giving, His giving is mokar It's a source of all life. However, this comes through riboy hamshachas vehislabshus. It has to come through a tremendous amount of embodiment to go from the loftiest levels through many, many myriads of levels. And Tzemach Tzedek here enumerates various spiritual levels. And he says that derech bom oiver shefa chesed is via this domino effect of various cause and effect that eventually it comes from realm to realm, from world to world, until it could be yumshuch, until it can actually come into our world. And that's what our prayers are about. So it's a little bit of a different side of things. The Mittler Rebbe and the Alter Rebbe were talking about creating the material vehicle through which all of this can be actualized. And the Tzemach Tzedek here is talking about the idea of the prayers we engage on a regular basis, but all of which are contributing towards the same end goal, actualization, bringing it down into our world. <laughs> Let me share with you the words of the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rebbe, in a famous collection of ethical teachings, uh, mystical ethical teachings called Kuntras Umayyam. In Mimer 17, here the Rebbe Rashab draws together a confluence of the teachings and many other teachings. And he says, let me uh, spell it out for you. Business people, those engaged in commerce. They can't even think about anything else. They don't even enjoy life because they're too busy making money. <laughs> you know anybody like that? They didn't do anything wrong. They're doing business. It's not a sin to do business. Didn't eat anything you shouldn't eat. Didn't sleep where you shouldn't sleep. Didn't look where you shouldn't look. He's doing business all day. And in fact, there's a need. <laughs> you have to do business. The Gemara, the, the sages in, in, in Mesechet Avot say, Yafa Talmud Torah, Im Derech Eretz. 
Omnom yet, yesh bazer kama shtusim. There is an incredible amount of foolishness, folly, or maybe just plain stupidity. Mitzad hayetzer, all of it comes from the evil inclination. Hamavidim esodim aldaiti, which causes a person to experience a temporary insanity, a total lack of recognition of the truth. And that is, ribui hatirda be'esek. It's exactly what Rabbeinu Bechai is saying. I have to tell you, I, I haven't found this. It, it's possible it is. I just haven't found the words of Rabbeinu Bechai spelled out so stunningly outside of the teachings of Hasidus. He says what we're talking about here is not engagement in commerce. What we're talking about here is overburdening, overexertion to the point of meltdown that a person puts all this effort in. Why is he putting all this effort? He is preoccupied in an unhealthy way. Overburdened, day and night. How do you know it's too much? Simple. Because it prevents this person from studying Torah. Hashem said you have to study Torah daily. He didn't say study Torah all day. He said study Torah daily. If you have no time for Torah study. If you can't daven with a minion. And davening with a minion does not mean to race through the davening as fast as you can. Mumbling the words such as that no, they become almost unintelligible. And the pages of Yasidah turn quicker than a fan. That's not the meaning of davening with a minion. According to the Rebbe Rashab. But rather, forget deep contemplation, just to know what you're saying. Just actually think about the words you just said. I'll be partial. Simple meaning. Why does this happen? Why does a person say, I, I can't have with a minion. I gotta go to work. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> I can't be bothered to study Torah every day. The rabbi studies Torah. I, I gotta make a living. I'm involved in business. Says the Rebbe Rashab, because he foolishly thinks to himself, he imagines to himself, that when a person will be, you know, a little delayed in prayer, to actually hear the words you're saying. Imagine that. Imagine to daven and actually hear the words you're saying. <laughs> Crazy stuff. And you should actually say it b'kavona. Kavona pshuta. It's just a simple meaning. And to daven with the minion, he then asked the person to pray with great devotion and avoda that he could do on Shabbos. It's got to work. It's no problem. But now daven like a mensch. And to take the time to stop. To stop what you're doing. And study Torah every day. It's an absolute, total responsibility. It's an obligation to do that. But why doesn't he? Are you kidding, he says? I'll be losing out. I can't do business during that time. This is an astonishingly foolish thing. When a person will take to heart and know, and incidentally we discussed this in great length a few episodes ago, the meaning of take to heart, the meaning of knowing something. Later he says, to see what's going on with him, so to speak. <laughs> to see how the world around you is going. 
you'll see yourself. That sometimes you will do business punctually and do everything you're supposed to. You'll put a tremendous amount of effort in. You don't make a red cent. We got me offset. Now you didn't make a profit. You lost. Sometimes, small amount of time, with very little effort. He made a success. Vim Cain, if so, he says, Who says, by spending time in Torah, you're losing? Maybe it would be a better idea not to do all that business. Hashem didn't ask you to make him unnecessary vehicles. He said, you do what you got to do. Reasonable efforts are expected. Extraordinary, overburdening, crushing efforts are not. I once heard that the Baal Shem Tev saw a Jew rushing from Shul prematurely, middle of the minion. And the Baal Shem Tev said, where are you running? And he said, Rebbe, sorry, I'm running to make parnasa. I'm running to make a living, my livelihood. And the Baal Shem Tev said, sadly, to me it looks like you're running away from making a livelihood. Powerful words. A Torah truth. Especially, says the Rebbe Rashab, if your person wouldn't forget about God altogether, because that's what happens sometimes. God gives you the ability, the wherewithal. He gave you the wisdom. He gave you the acumen. He provided with you, for you, the strategies. It's the blessing of God that brings wealth, affluence, and success. The efforts themselves, that's, that's just a keli. It's just a vessel. You need to have a vessel. You can't ask for a cup of coffee without a cup. But a cup isn't coffee. And the nicest vessel doesn't give you anything unless something's placed inside it. Your efforts are the cup. God fills that cup with his blessing. The Rebbe really sums this up in a edited sicha, an edited talk, which is found in the 31st volume of Zlikot Sichas. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we've spoken about this before. It's a sicha about Purim. It's, I'm not going to go into the details now, but I just want to sum up the, the verbiage because this is very precise. The Rebbe's edited verbiage. The Rebbe says on page 173 of that volume of Lukotasichas, The blessing of God is what brings us success or wealth. That's not only because the sustenance, the livelihood that a person seeks is something that comes to him by virtue of his efforts in a natural manner. Hinge upon, entirely upon God. Hashem, who is arranging all of nature. No, no, the Rebbe says more so. It gets much deeper. And the Rebbe adds the word, the iker, overridingly, primarily. 
listen carefully. This, the Rebbe says, is the primary meaning of Birchus Hashem Itasher. Shebnei Yisrael enom nesunim meikara tachas shiltein vanhogas ateva. We are not placed beneath the thumb of nature, the dominion of the natural order. As is explained in many places, Bnei Yisrael mekablim chiyusam mishim havaya shalomayla miateva. We receive our beneficence from the proverbial level of havaya, which transcends nature. Vahaino, shahu yizbarech mashgiyach uman niges kolin yoni Yisrael. God Almighty Himself is supervising. God Almighty Himself is arranging all the affairs of Klal Yisrael, with special supervision, with a miraculous energy, a miraculous manner, which is entirely not vested or limited to the frame of nature. And by virtue of this idea, the fact that there needs to be efforts that are made on our part, Torah necessitates it. God will bless you by what you do. It's only because God wanted, and by the way, it doesn't have to make sense. The Ratzon Hashem, because God wanted that His beneficence to us, which is miraculous, Hanhogas Hanisis Al that the miracles should happen through the guise of the natural. Hilbish Nisim He dressed or embodied these miracles. What seems to be efforts that follow the laws of nature. You have to do. It's just a garment. It's just a vehicle. It's not the blessing. It's not the prize. That's not the prophet. It's only a levush It's an external garment. Legamri. It's something that comes from on high. The ultimate essence comes from Almighty God Himself. And here, the Rebbe says in brackets, The person who considers his or her business efforts, without properly, and the Rebbe emphasizes the words properly, properly, I have a hunch that Properly depends on who you are, how much Torah you study. More is expected of us if we're, so to speak, in the know in a deeper fashion. And if we're not mindful, you know what it's like? I'll spell it out for you. <laughs> it's like a person who's working very hard at Tfilas Kisim, he's sewing big pockets. You know why he's sewing pockets? So he can put the prophet in the pockets. His pockets, put the prophet in the pockets. <laughs> he doesn't do any business. He just creates big pockets to put the money in. It's a big pouch for the money. In modern terminology, he's opening bank accounts. 
but he's not doing anything to make a deposit in the bank account. He doesn't do anything to actually make a profit. No. <laughs> Would anybody think that makes sense? It's exactly how much sense it makes when we focus on the external reality rather than what really counts. I saw this earlier. I think it was in the Mimer of the Alta Rebbe. He says that sometimes, you know, the, the, you have a, a parent that gives a child a nut. I'm pretty sure I saw this somewhere in this Mimer. Yeah, Albert ever says that, he says, you give the child a nut, and the child is playing with the, with the shell, the, the shell of the nut. The child doesn't understand that the nut, it's the walnut, it's not the shell. He doesn't get it. He says, oh, look how good, look at this, look at this nice shell, and he's obsessing over the shell. Why? Because he's immature. He's not recognizing the true value of things. <laughs> it's like in today's day and age, the toy companies that are marketing to baby boomers because they know they have lots of money for their grandchildren. People who are older and, and the toys are so sophisticated and have bells and whistles that speak to mature people, but the children are playing with the box with the colorful wrapper, and the grandparents are playing with the toy. This is what Alta Rebbe is talking about here. And this dovetails perfectly into the words of Rabbeinu Bechaya, Chalisha Sahakara, weakness and recognition. What's really important and what isn't. So do our efforts ever make a difference? The answer is yes. In one area, there's one area in which our efforts do actually make it happen. And that is the area which is not Kenyoni Ha'ilam. And that is Mebli Sabe Velkiyom Mitzvah Savedasi Vikibul Teirasi. When these efforts have nothing to do with the fulfillment of Torah mitzvahs, it's ordained. Your mitzvahs are not ordained, your Torah study is not ordained. Your acts of holiness, spiritual devotion and dedication are not ordained. If they were ordained, what would be the purpose? So this is the one area in which our efforts make a world of difference. As the Ned Bakridish puts it, the there's a proviso here. All the efforts are for naught. A waste of time and energy if it's not for the purpose of fulfilling Hashem's will. However, if it's a Sibashi Eskai Matera, Bechol Mashahu, Miageo Matadis Hatsme. When a person toils and works hard and he's doing it all for himself, he's wasting his time. However, if in fact he's not doing it for himself, but rather, he's doing this in order to fulfill a mitzvah, as the Marpel and Nefesh puts it. If he's doing it to perform a mitzvah, certainly, he says, you can accelerate the process. You want to understand something in Torah more, and you're going to put added effort into it? You'll get to it eventually. Why should I get to it eventually? I want to understand it now. Oh, then. 
you will understand it now. Because the one area that Hashem does not ordain is that which is in the arena of Avodat Hashem. As we quoted in previous episodes, the words of the Gemara, Hakol Shomayim, everything is in the hands of heavens, Chutz, with one big exception, Yirat Shomayim. And so, the Marpel Nefesh says, that if you're talking about, You should make the efforts. When it comes to fulfilling a mitzvah, oh, that's where your choice is available, not preordained. Nobody is decreed to be righteous or wicked. Other things, a waste of time. The Teva Levonim puts it this way. It is certain that a person's efforts make all the difference when it comes to an act of holiness, an act of mitzvah observance. Because binyanim elu and these things, here, the free choice is given entirely to the person. And so... Here one can be clever, here one can be filled with guile, here one can be strategic, here one can use any kind of efforts, and they will make the difference. As the Paslechem puts it, that when it comes to Kiyom Mitzvah, Mitzvah, you're making extra efforts, fantastic! You're knocking yourself out, amazing! That is placed in your hands. There, you are the master. You're in the driver's seat. Hashem doesn't decide that for you. As we learned the Gemara in Brachas, everything is in Hashem's hands. Chutz. One big, big exception. Yiras Shamayim. But if you're doing it for yourself, uh, that's another story. And now, Rabbeinu Bechaya is going to stunningly show us how this idea of a person doing that which he or she thinks can make a difference. It's a waste of time because it's all preordained by Hashem. Where do we see that? Ah, we see that this is uh, the result of a person's lack of understanding. It's a, person of a, a person's lack of conviction in Hashem's goodness and what Hashem has for us. But when it comes to heavenly matters, that's a different story. Non-heavenly matters... Here, says the Rebbeinu Bechaya, we take a look at the scripture and he's going to sow for us or to weave for us a fantastic, and beautiful, exquisite tapestry of a number of strings, number of, of threads lifted from scriptural references, all of which initially come from Ecclesiastics, from Kohelas, the wisdom of Shlomo HaMelech. And here, Rebbeinu Bechaya will demonstrate to us how all of this, has already been said by Shlomo HaMelech. So in the third chapter of Ecclesiastics, we have Shlomo HaMelech speaking about this idea, this idea that everything's arranged. Everything has its designated time. No, you can't accelerate or delay it. Everything is arranged by divine providence. And it, the third chapter of Kehillas begins with a poem. And of course, this poem will end. A time for every purpose. That's the refrain. The poem is going to, so to speak, open 
with a discussion, telling us that that there is a season, an appropriate time. There is a suitable time for every purpose, for every action beneath the heavens. Oh, beneath the heavens. Comes the Paslechem and he says, did you notice what was just said? That's when it's beneath the heavens. He says, beneath the heavens refers to things which are not related to Avedis Hashem. Underneath, beneath spiritual pursuit. However, when it's talking about spiritual pursuit, that's another story, he says. That's not beneath the heavens. That is the heavens. And that's not preordained. Shlomo HaMelech now moves through a whole series, so to speak, of things. Specifically, he's going to spell out no less than 28 different matters. As Rabbeinu Bechaya now continues to illustrate, Shlomo HaMelech speaks about this precisely in his statement, Everything has an appointed season for every time and every matter under heaven. He will go on to mention and enumerate 28 different things, all of which have set times. He speaks about the time to give birth and the time in which a person says farewell. And it goes till the end of the list. A time for war and a time for peace. Shlomo HaMelech later, in the third chapter, tells us, Eis ufega yikra eskulam. That there is a time and a fate that overtakes them all. This is, of course, Rabbeinu Bechaya, who's sewing this tapestry for us. But when he speaks about these words, lekol eis, for all there is, so to speak, a time, Shlomo HaMelech is taking us now forward into the ninth chapter. From the 30 moves to the ninth chapter of Ecclesiastics. And there he says that he sees that there is no guarantee of security or of calm. The winning of the race doesn't necessarily go to the swift. Rabbeinu B'chayah has mentioned this verse much earlier in the Psicha, in the opening. He says, the triumph of war is not assured to the valiant. Who says smart people are rich? The wise don't have bread. There's no guarantee of anything. Clever people are not necessarily wealthy. People who understand and have knowledge don't necessarily have favor. Why? Ah, luck. <laughs> Murphy. <laughs> because a time and an encounter or a chance befalls them all. In other words, people can be very talented, have a tremendous amount of wherewithal. They could have been predicted to rise and shine like a star and end up becoming a black hole. Because in the end, everything's ordained. So we make all those efforts. You couldn't be bothered to study Torah. You couldn't be bothered to daven and shul. You couldn't be bothered to do mitzvahs. You couldn't be bothered to do tzedakah. You couldn't be bothered. You had no time. You were burdened with making a living. You burdened yourself. Your, burden, your burdening of oneself didn't add 
to the bottom line. Oh, of course it did. Look, I worked so hard and I made so much money. Really? Was it because of all the hard work? Or sometimes did the success come unanticipated, even unexplained? Well, you know, that's luck. Of course not, says Abin Abachaya. It's ordained. You must do your part. You've got to make it look natural. It has to be so natural that you can even fool yourself. But ultimately, if you're taking away from the very purpose of life, you missed the point. Rabbeinu B'chaya continues as he brings these verses to demonstrate that one cannot change realities. And he says, indeed, in the fifth chapter of Kohelas, Shlomo HaMelech further says, Ki for the highest over the high weights, he says, and the higher ones over them. This is Shlomo HaMelech rather mm, sardonically kind of speaking about the realities we see. It's painful. We see the exploitation of the poor. We see people's subversion of judgment. We see an abuse of justice, corruption. And you wonder at the purpose, like what's going on here? The world seems like a place of chaos or it's out of control. But it's a big mistake, he says. Because Gavaya mal Gavaya, there is higher and then high that's watching over and there are high ones that are watching over. In other words, you only see what you see. What we see is very limited. The world has many, many layers, layers upon layers. And because we can't see the reasons behind what's happening, because we don't have the ability to grasp the big picture, we're not privy to the helicopter view of reality, it makes uneasy, us uneasy. We feel bad about things. It makes, it makes us despondent even. But we must always remember that our perspective is jaded, blunted entirely limited. We are incapable of seeing the bigger panorama. That's the point. We won't see the full truth. Now there's a lot contained within these words, but Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar's point is that halicha is dine habayra, that the ways by which the Creator, so to speak, follows, the rules that he that he, that, he, that he follows, that he created for himself. Yeser na'alomis va'amukis are far, far deeper, far more hidden. We can't even understand part of them. Certainly not all of them. And indeed, here, Rabbeinu Bechaya concludes by directing our attention to the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verse 9, where he says, Kugovu as the heavens are way beyond the earth. So, Kingovu my ways are higher than your ways. my thoughts so much higher than our thoughts. So we don't know. To us it seems that this world is spinning out of control. But in fact, it is not so. 
And here Rabbeinu B'chaya has really driven home this point with this beautiful tapestry of scriptural synergy that makes, makes it very clear to us that ultimately everything is by divine design and the destiny of HaKadosh Baruch Hu controls all. You know, I want to add just a nuance that the Paslechem speaks about the seeming redundancy of Lakol Zman Va'et. He says, for everything there is a time and there is a season. So that's po- poetry, but he says, the truth is that the words Zman and Eight refer to the present and the future. The Paslechem says that the word Zman comes from the term Hazmana, to prepare. You prepare yourself for the future. He says Eight comes from the term Ata, right now. The past, he says, ha'ovar ayin. The past was already. However, we must know that the present, as it's unfolding now, is preordained. The future that you're overburdening yourself about, that you're filled with fear and anxiety over, it's already preordained. Hashem has it all <laughs> begun to control. And as such, you do your part. And let the Rebbein do his part. Otherwise, we are behaving in a manner it is entirely foolish. Gigavoya Mal Gavoya says the Marpele Nefesh, who Ra'aya, he is simply bringing these verses to buttress and prove that there is Lachol Siba Siba, there is for every cause, every effect a cause, for every rhyme, for every for a reason, everything is, so to speak cascading, a cascading effect of many, 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 many reasons beyond what we could possibly imagine. And it all comes back to the original driving force. In the words of the Teva Levonen, he says that even though these changes seem to be dynamic, they seem to be the result of things that are happening right now. How could they have been preordained? We are perceiving things in, in a particular manner. He says, that's the way it looks to us. God who is unfathomably greater and beyond all of this, he keeps everything in, so to speak, in place. And it's really beyond us. We don't get to see the true essence of everything. And the way Hashem is maneg of lefik his halich Hashem's way of doing things, the way Hashem controls things and runs things, something that's by God's decree, something we can't understand. Baslechem says that the words ne'elamot va'amukot, hidden and very deep or profound, are not redundancy. He says there are some things that are entirely beyond human fathomability, other things that require tremendous insight, a great deal of prescience to be able to understand, sometimes even in a small way. Sometimes in life, things remain a mystery, and some things eventually we see, we say, wow. What incredible divine design. Who could have thought or imagined? And so, my friends, in doing so, Rabbeinu Bechaya has now concluded, essentially, the first principle. The first principle of Betochen is our recognition, our awareness, that Hashem alone possesses all of the seven criteria that are necessary to foster and place trust in a, in a provider. We began with Hashem's caring about us. He cares deeply about every one of us. And we concluded with this idea of Hashem having absolute control over everything. And with this, we come to the climax of the first principle 
articulated in the third chapter, formal principles to follow as we continue our journey in building betochen, ridding ourselves of fears, anxieties, and experience, experiencing the bliss of total, absolute trust in Hashem Yisbarach. Thank you so much for listening. Please come back and continue to join me as we chart the courses of this choppy sea called life to find the calm, the oasis, the island of calm that every one of us can reach if only we make the proper efforts. If you enjoyed, please like, share, and make sure you get somebody else to subscribe as well. YouTube.com forward slash Rabbi Mendel Kaplan. Your participation is greatly appreciated. Have an amazing, awesome, and wonderful day. And may we soon meet with the coming of Mashiach. Bimheira will be a Amen.